The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So if we haven't met, my name is Sean. I'm teaching pastor here in our campus at the West Side. We're glad to have you with us. And as we open the scriptures together, let me ask God's blessing on our time. God, that you would be with us is our deepest prayer. In joy and in sorrow, in suffering and hope, that we would know that your presence abides in us and around us and through us. And God, we would ask that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us in all the different places and spaces from where we arrived this morning. And toward that end, God, I pray that you pour through me the gift of teaching, that everything said here be from you and because of you and guiding us towards you, Lord, as we partner with you to bring about your preferred future for all of creation. And we ask it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So probably like many of you, I grew up in the church, like born on the pew every Sunday, back in my day, every Wednesday night. And one of the early memories of my life in the church where I grew up in Goshen, Mississippi, is our Sunday morning Bible class. That's how old I am. We did not have kid spaces. We had Bible class. And in that Bible class, there was a poster on the wall. And on that poster on the wall was everyone's name who was in that grade in that Bible class. And this is where I became a three on the Enneagram. Because I learned early on that if you did the right things, they would put a gold star next to your name on the chart. And if you got enough gold stars, then you would get some reward or some privilege. And so you got gold stars mainly for three things. You got a gold star for attendance. So I wanted to be there all the time. I really think that's a practice we ought to bring back. You got a gold star if you brought your Bible. I have two teenage girls. They cannot tell you right now where their Bibles are because they say, well, it's just on my phone. But in my day, you brought your Bible, you got an extra gold star, and then you got another gold star if you had memorized your memory verse for the week. So every Sunday in Bible class, they would give us a memory verse, and we spent the week memorizing that verse. We'd come back the next Sunday, say the memory verse, and you got another gold star. Now, I did not know as a child that Sunday school was different from regular school. So I studied for Sunday school. Like nowadays, you show up at church, everybody loves you. Not then. (laughs) You had to know some stuff. And what that did, though, over time was it gave me an imagination, not one that's terrible or horrible, but not the fullest imagination, but that the Bible primarily was about data and mastering the data and knowing the text. And I'm really grateful that I know the Bible and that I grew up knowing the Bible. But what I learned about the Bible was just to know the contents of the Bible. And knowing the contents 
just isn't enough. And the reality is that even people who think they know the content, know the data, actually when they get up to talk about the Bible, they're always talking about more than the contents and the data. And this is how people are wired. Did any of you see the Grammys last Sunday night? Raise your hand if you saw the Grammys. Like five of us saw the Grammys. <laughs> well, there's a moment last week at the Grammys where Jay-Z receives like a humanitarian award and he uses his time on stage to talk about his wife, Beyonce. Now, this is Houston. I'm black. The rules are no shade for Beyonce ever. And so what he said was that Beyonce had won more Grammys than anyone in history, but she had never won Album of the Year. Now, people like me think, well, that's interesting, but I think philosophically that's a category mistake because she won Grammys for songs and songs don't make albums just like scenes don't make a movie. A movie can have a lot of good scenes and still be a terrible movie. And so I think it's a category mistake. But what he did is what all of us do. He took a set of facts, this is what she's won, and he laid over the top of it his interpretation of those facts. That if you won this many Grammys, how could you not have won album of the year? And that's not true. There are lots of arguments that could be made for why they don't equal up but it's interpretation. And so Ecclesia, if you've been around for the last month and a half, you know that we've been in this series talking about the Bible. And many of us grew up with a certain understanding of the Bible, like me with memory verses. But we got to a point at some time in our life where the data or what we were taught, taught about the data just wasn't enough. And we all know deep down what's really going on is that the data is one thing and the interpretation of that data is a different thing. And here's the reality, and I don't mean to scare you or confuse you to raise your anxiety, but every time that you've heard someone open up the Bible and teach about the Bible, every time that you've read a book, every time you've listened to a podcast, every time anyone has said the Bible says, you're not actually getting what the Bible says. You're getting their interpretation of what the Bible says. That does not mean that it's a free-for-all that one interpretation is as good as another interpretation because that's not true. There are good interpretations and there are bad interpretations. There are right interpretations and wrong interpretations. There are true interpretations and false interpretations. And everybody, whether we want to or not, whether we're trying to or not, everybody picks and chooses. And this was happening in the time of Jesus. And it's always happened. And what we do in response to all of those interpretations, 
in all of our picking and choosing is that we decide that this is what we believe and everyone else who doesn't read the Bible the same way that we read the Bible is evil or wrong or stupid. Or we decide that it's so complicated that we can never get our arms around it, really, that we will just listen to whatever the pastor says or whoever we like now or that podcast we listen to. And I was raised in a church that told me that no matter what anybody says about any topic anywhere, they should be able to do three things. They should be able to give you book, chapter, and verse. And if they can't give you book, chapter, and verse, then you don't have to listen to that at all. But I realized later in life that people who read the same book and the same chapter and the same verse often came to different conclusions about that book, chapter, and verse than I did. And so it makes it confusing and sometimes conflicted and we don't know what to do. And so when we get to a place where we just feel settled or we like what that says, or we like this interpretation, like we just go with that. And so a guy named Christian Smith wrote a book several years ago about all the perplexity around our own interpretation of the Bible called The Bible Made Impossible. And this is what he says in The Bible Made Impossible. He says, the point becomes not to understand the other's reasons, perspectives, and beliefs, or to honor them as fellow believers and come to a deeper understanding and perhaps resolution of differences. The point, rather, is to remain on guard from being contaminated by the outgroup or allowing them to grow in influence. And in that process, the other is very easily turned into an impersonal, two-dimensional caricature. Outgroups are reduced to an abstract them whose beliefs are abridged into a few bullet points of greatest disagreement, which need not actually be taken seriously on their own terms, but rather simply need to be refuted and discredited as a means to validate the views of one's own group. In this way, differences between Christian groups cease to be existentially troubling facts that divide Christians. Instead, they become dismissible ideas of people far away, ideas already known to be wrong. And so what I wanna do knowing that this is the way that we read the Bible is help us become better readers of the Bible. And the reality is that when it comes to scripture and following God, all of us are wrong some percentage of the time or we're wrong about certain things. And I know that I'm wrong about certain things And if I knew that I was wrong about those things, I would just change it. But because I'm human, I know that there's no perfect way for me to understand everything. I am limited. I only have so many insights. I only have so much knowledge. But I do know this. I have $100,000 worth of theological education. which means I can make the Bible say whatever I want it to say. (laughs) And so I have to, you have to, have means and ways of being good Bible readers. That's beyond 
just mastering the data. So Jesus talks about it this way in John 5 when he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, there's another witness standing in my corner who is greater than John or any other man. The, the mission that brings me here and the things I am called to do demonstrate the authenticity of my calling, which comes directly from the Father. In the act of sending me, the Father has endorsed me. None of you really knows the Father. You have never heard his voice or seen his profile. His word does not abide in you because you do not believe in the one sent by the Father. Here you are, scouring the scriptures, hoping that you will find eternal life among a pile of scrolls. What you don't seem to understand is that the scriptures point to me. Here I am with you, and you still reject the truth contained in the law and prophets by refusing to come to me so that you can have life. And Jesus is telling the religious leaders and the religious followers of his day, if it doesn't lead to Jesus, you don't know how to read the Bible. You don't know how to read scripture. So I'm gonna give you six tools to become better Bible readers. And the first is that good readers read on their knees. That there is a gap between who you are and who God is, and only God can actually fill that gap. Like there is no amount of knowledge or data that you can master. There is no amount of Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic you can learn that will make you an ironclad, lockdown reader of the Bible, that the Bible exists essentially as material to draw you to God, documents that tell you about the nature of God and how God has walked with people. And that is a prayerful posture to enter into scripture. And I know it's really fun to sit around with people and try to get all underneath and beside and through scripture. I do that all of the time. But the reason that we have it is so that you can experience God, that you can know God, and that folks, the Theo bros on Twitter who just want to use God to hammer other people cannot possibly be reading the Bible well because they are not reading it the way that it was intended to be read. There is in scripture reading a fundamental motivation to simply know and experience God. And good readers also read from a posture of obedience that I'm looking for when I open the Bible, how I am following God, how God is leading me. So about 15 years ago, we were living outside of San Francisco, which does not mean that I'm cheering for the 49ers today. And I was approached by a book publisher, and there's this guy who has made his entire career writing about the Bible, inconsistencies that he sees in the Bible, inaccuracies in the Bible, and his publisher contacted me and wanted to know if I would endorse the book. So I get asked to endorse a lot of books. I don't typically endorse books unless I know the person. I didn't know this guy. And they said, I said, no, I don't want to do this because all his book is is trying to rip apart scripture and see where, well, the Christians are wrong about this. And this is what history says. And this is what science says and all of that. And they said, well, would you write a refutation of the book? I said, no, like that gets me nowhere. And then I wonder, 
How much are you paying for that? But I didn't do it. (laughs) Because here's the reality. Someone who is not intending to obey the scriptures cannot possibly be a good reader of the scriptures. Because the Bible is not what so many people want to make it. The Bible is not a science book. The Bible is not a book about great philosophy. And for all of the people, for their own reasons, who are scouring the world looking for Noah's Ark, like that's not the point of Noah's Ark. And there are 0% of people who will find God because someone found, the, found Noah's Ark. And that's not to say that there haven't been people through history who have opened up their Bible and they were agnostic or they were an atheist and they read the Bible and they came to belief in God. Like that happens. But that's not primarily what the Bible is for. It's for telling us who we are and how we're made, how we best thrive and love one another and care for one another. We read from a posture of obedience, not refutation. And that's when we discover the beauty of the scriptures. And this is why Jesus says, after so many of his teachings, this is why Jesus says, for, with, for those with ears to hear, It's for those with ears to hear. Maybe you've had this experience where you've read a book or watched a movie and you just hated it and you came back years later and you watched that movie or you read that book and then you're like, why didn't I like this the first time? This is great. And the reality of that experience is like you just weren't ready for it then? Like you just didn't have ears to hear then? friend of mine in Austin for years ran a book club for adults called Required Reading Revisited. And it was just all the required reading that you had to do in high school that people came back as adults and finally read and go, oh, oh this wasn't the terrible experience that I thought it was. It's life changes. We change. We have different experiences. And the scriptures are for those with ears to hear. The scriptures also mean that we read them with confessional hearts. One of the great stories for me in the New Testament is that of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. This is how the beginning of that story goes. Says he, talking about Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So those of you who grew up around the Bible know that story of Zacchaeus climbing up in a sycamore tree and spotting Jesus and Jesus spotting him. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus has this moment, this transformational moment with Jesus. But why is Zacchaeus there? He's there to see Jesus. And the end of that story, after having an encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus decides to write 
all of his wrongs, that he realizes that through this encounter, that I am not who I want to be, and I'm not just here to push back and to argue. Like when I coach, when I teach preachers, I say there's part of your sermon every week that has to be overcoming objections. And the reason that has to be a part of what every preacher in the world has to do is because you all have objections. Because it's hard to be confessional and to say, that's me. That's where I've missed the mark. That's where I'm wrong. But when you enter into reading the scriptures, we read with confessional hearts. It might just be true that if you believe in God, that God knows more about how to live than you do. And when we open the Bible, we are seeking to discover what that is. That Jesus knows more about living. That Jesus is not stupid. That Jesus is not naive. And Jesus might have something to say about me. Another step to becoming a good reader is to let the text have its own voice. So that means that the Bible, as much as we might wish it were otherwise, was not actually written to you. Like it did not arrive in your mailbox last week that it has a context, that there are certain things happening at the time that the Bible is trying to address. Universal things, events that we all experience. So it has a context, it has a history. What's going on in the world at the time? Why are people like this? So yeah, your senior year, when you're signing yearbooks and you put down Jeremiah for I know the plans I have for you, that's not actually for you. That's about a people going into slavery. I mean, sign up for that if you want to. But it has a meaning. And part of letting the text have its own voice is simply this. The Bible cannot mean what it never meant. So, the Bible is not telling you to have tacos on Tuesday. The Bible is not telling you which house to buy. It can tell you maybe how much you want to spend, but it's not written for you like that. It's not written to you, but it's written for you. There are parables and principles. There are lessons to be learned, but it has to speak for itself. And my temptation, and maybe your temptation, is for the Bible to let me off the hook about something that I really want. But it can't mean what it never meant. And us understanding, because the distance from 5,000 years ago is so great that it often takes a lot of work to close that distance to let the scriptures speak. And good readers also 
listen for the gist of the story. Like, what is this really about? What is the center of gravity here? Because you all have been around enough to know that in the hands of certain people, they make the scriptures just say whatever. And this was happening in the time of Jesus. And when Jesus is approached by teachers of the law and the Pharisees and Sadducees, this is how he dealt with that very same issue that we have. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you tithe from your luxuries and your spices, giving away a tenth of your mint, your dill, and your cumin. But you have ignored the essentials of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. It is practice of the latter that makes sense of the former. And so I know some of us have a history where we were in religious communities that said, well, this over here, this piece is really important, and this is really important. But Jesus comes along, and he says, some things are more important than other things. The Bible's a big book, and there's a lot in it, and he says, justice, faithfulness, these are what Jesus calls the weightier matters, which does not mean that the items not named in the list don't matter. But if you were pressed, if you had to choose, if your back was up against the wall and you had to determine who is it that I'm going to be, what am I going to do? These are the weightier matters. This is more important. And for many of us, we never heard that Jesus thinks that some virtues and values and actions are more important. We just thought it was all the same. But the gist of the story is this, the core of what God is doing in the world moving toward God's preferred future, those items are just more important. And finally, to read in community. And we've talked about this a couple of times in this series, that you on your own reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible, which is a great thing for you to do. It's fabulous if you have a rhythm in your life where you read the Bible, but you risk getting a lot wrong if you don't run that by some people. If there aren't people who you read the scriptures with and they look at you and say, is that really what you see there? Is that really what you hear? People who love you, who can hold you accountable, who can say, I don't see it that way. And plus, the added benefit of simple realities like social location. About two years ago, I was being interviewed on a podcast. And it's a podcast for preachers. And the guy who's hosting the video, the, the podcast says, you know, when I listen when I listen to you preach, 
I hear things that I don't hear anybody else say. And he meant it like as a compliment, not that I'm like totally convoluted, though that can happen. And he says, why is that? Like, and I said, that's simple. I'm black. And he chuckled, but that's the reality, that life, your location gives you certain experiences. Those experiences raise certain questions, and you take those questions to the text. And so one of the benefits of a place like Ecclesia is reading the text with people who aren't like you, who haven't had your same experiences, who are asking different questions, and not having questions just for questions' sake but who are reading the Bible fully. This last November, I was in Arkansas with a great leader named Eugene Cho. And he was talking and we were, I was interviewing him and he was sharing some things. And he told me some stories that from his perspective were almost like wallpaper for Asian American Christians. And I'd never thought of it like that. It never occurred to me. And that's why we read in community. Because when we hear one another, when we share with one another, because in this room, we are different races and different ages. Some of us are wealthy. Some of us are poor. We have different genders, different ways that the world has treated us and that we have experienced one another. And all of that matters because you see some things that I don't see. And I see some realities that you don't see. And we open up our own reading and understanding of the scriptures when we hear one another. So this is why all of this is important over the last six weeks. Because some of you have had to ask, why do a series on the Bible? It goes back to my Sunday school class and memorization. Because my Sunday school class was in the first Sunday school class ever in the world to have to memorize Bible. But there's this ancient practice of memorizing scripture. And the Jewish community, especially Young men training to be rabbis have done this forever and ever and ever. And it's called writing on your heart. That when we learn, when we memorize scripture, we are writing it on our hearts. And one of the ways that rabbis in training have done this is by writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting the scripture. And as they were sitting with their rabbi one day, one of the young rabbis asks, why do we do this? We have all of this text, it's all written down. Why do we write it over and over and over again? Why do we write it on our hearts? And as rabbi said, that's simple. So that when your heart breaks, this is what comes out. An ecclesia, Life is hard. And if you're not in the middle of a heartbreak, you soon will be. You will lose someone you love. Your parents will die. Your children will suffer. 
the world will come apart. Your world will come apart. And when your heart breaks, God's word is what we want to come out. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.